and welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast. It's beer, metal, swearing. I, of course, am Nick Cameron, the sole everything of Glacially Musical, which is a failed everything. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. And I am joined by Keefe Christmas Box Chakas, as this is a bonus episode dropping on the greatest of all holidays that no one in America gives two shits about, Boxing Day. We're not fighting, which I thought that's what Boxing Day was my whole life. How are we doing today, buddy? I'm cool. How are you? I am great. Thank you very much for agreeing to do a bonus episode because I realized when I was talking to my wife and she's taking the kid and the brother-in-law who's in town from San Francisco, Mission District, in case you're wondering. And right, right near where I live. How is correct, that correct. So when I go visit him, I can go see you. Yeah, all right. And when you come see me, you can visit him. Same diff. Same diff. Oh, well, good breaking news. You have finally been selected for a CBD extract in Gummy Bears free sample. The benefits are insane. Fuck it. I'm not answering that. I am not going to answer that text message. Where was I? So they're going to see Sing 2 because I don't want to see Sing 2. I'm not a big fan of 3D animated cartoons because I... Look, if nobody's painting shit on a plexiglass frame, I'm out. And I'll see it on when it's on whatever streaming service. So I asked Mr. Keithy to do a uh, special episode with me. And bonus, bonus, bonus episode. Dude, it's like fucking you're playing pinball. Your final score was 19,455,310. And it matched 10, 10, boom. So, beer. Got some on my microphone and computer and uh, antique faux antique roll top desk. I am uh, drinking a Rockwell Brewing Midwest Swang. If anybody knows, it's faux show. Anybody who uh, has heard that song by the St. Lunatics, because Midwest Swang, I got nothing. I'm not even drunk. I'm sorry. Uh, how are we doing? All righty. My beer today, second time ever trying this beer. This is Orange Boom. Uh, bought at Trader Joe's, imported from Netherlands, one of my favorite places ever. And uh, you, anybody who knows orange and blue are the natu- national covers, colors of Holland slash the Netherlands, and also my home state of New York. They have too they many know, names over there in Holland. I, I'm going to say, have, they got to pick one. They got to pick one, I agree. But the beer is good. Uh, definitely, it tastes like the beers that I drank when I was in Amsterdam and uh, the Netherlands for Roadburn a couple years ago. And uh, I know that they're having hard, a hard time right now in lockdown over there. So let's uh, send this out, this, this out to them, this, this sip. Uh, I also got my beer at Trader Joe's. Rockwell Brewing is a St. Louis-based uh, brewery. Uh, they said something politically about four years ago that made me want to go buy a beer from them. I didn't. So I'm going to give a big shout out to Rockwell Brewing. Uh, actually my boss's sister who helped me get my job, no names are going to be mentioned period. Uh, the owners of Rockwell Brewing live, live next to them. So my, my, my wife's friend's husband, who are friends of mine as well, always have a whole big fridge of Rockwell Brewing because they live across the alley from each other. So my friend Chris gets to help taste it. Different Chris. Oh shit. Names. Crap. I met Jimmy. Anywho, so this week, the Boxing Day special, of course, because we've made it so 
clear as an azure lake. Uh, forget whatever else I, Alexander Delarge said. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Clockwork Orange, anyway, with the therapist. We are going to do a vinyl special. To What kind of made me want to do this is my wife yesterday gave me, for again, it is Boxing Day, so yesterday was Christmas. My Christmas gift, what, one of my Christmas gifts for my wife, because she went crazy when I did not. I got her two things and gave her a third thing, which I had already told her I was buying her. So, I mean, I, I, I did badly, but anywho, she gave me a third, $25 gift card to the record exchange. When Keefe is in town next, nearly next month, next month plus a, plus a week, I will take him to the record exchange. I'm actually going to take him to several record stores just to make him see what we got here in the Midwest coast. So the record exchange is one of the old, is one of the two oldest record stores in St. Louis. They are OG vinyl. They never stopped, never quit. I remember in 1997 with my boss, Todd, telling me, oh yeah, I go to the record exchange all the time and get my jazz records. Okay. Got a couple of Thelonious Monk records over there. I've never actually spun, but you what? First of all, Next to the great high exalted that is rock and heavy metal, jazz is my third favorite style of music. I was Mine's blues. I was brought up on it. I do love blues also, but I was brought up on jazz with my two jazzophile parents. Um, and and first of all, any place called the Record Exchange rules. I used to go to several different Record Exchange named places. It's a common name. Uh, was the very famous, probably still there, maybe not sure record store in salem mass when i lived there fucking awesome got a lot of cool stuff there Used to does it my... date back to the 70s i mean that one did i don't know the other one in boston mine does much. that's cool mine is now the, the record exchange moved about 20 years ago when the st louis library moved the booter branch on hampton to a new building so the record exchange literally sits in a st louis library building that is really cool. With two stories. That is extremely cool. I don't um, go to the second story because it's all 45s. Indeed. Which are not my bag. It's just not my so, bag. Yeah, so jazz is a is an area, as much as I'm going to grow out my classic albums of the genres I prefer, I am also going to slowly buy a bunch of jazz stuff. I have a few. I have a Coltrane. I have a Clifford Brown, who's my favorite trumpet player. Um Clifford Brown with strings is exquisite if you're interested in a great combination album and um, innovative, impeccable record. Now it's common, but like to put string sections on whole jazz albums was undone at the time. Um, When my father-in-law passed, I found a couple of Thelonious Monk albums and we have a lot of confusion about where his record collection is. You said this, you said this last week. Um, We haven't found it. I will tell you that Thelonious Monk is a humongous influence on Rick Wright of Pink Floyd. Thelonious Monk is a large influence on a lot of people. I know he is an abject genius, which is why I took those, which is why some of the records I took. I also took a couple of Bob Dylan records he had. Not a big fan of Bob Dylan, but I want to try. I'm, I'm me, 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 me. Great Look, songwriter, if, not a great vocalist. Yeah, he's, he's Howlin' Wolf. I mean, I get it. You know, anything that 
that Bob Dylan does, Jimi Hendrix can do and be amazing. So maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. I got a couple of his records. You know, you don't make a 78 year A plus list career without having something. That's, That's and so I, I when she gave me the gift card though, she looked at me and she said. I don't want you to go to the record exchange and get your normal kind of thing. Cause I'm. She gave I, you a challenge. Correct. It's a good challenge. And I don't completely understand that it. it was a weird and unique way to spoil me, which I mentioned this a bit on Twitter last night. I don't know if you saw it. And what she said was, I want you to use this $25 gift card to supercharge what you want to buy. So you can get a very expensive record without worrying about it. And because she, I I will say this and only this about our situation. You know how many records I have. You know, my daughter's played hockey. You know, we have two houses. We're doing okay. You know, uh, that's all I'm going to say. We're doing okay. And she knows how nitpicky and worried i get about how much i spend on this and more often than not i hear things like 40 dollars go fucking buy it so now i got the puppet master by king diamond on a uh music on vinyl release i believe but so she wanted to give me that gift card in order to go do just that so i could go to the store buy whatever they had and not give two craps it wasn't the gift the gift card wasn't a red light it was a nitrous boost. So I found a copy of, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Fresh Cream featuring yeah. all-around asshole Eric Clapton. Douchebag of the universe, Eric Clapton. Cream is unfuckwithable. Um, Thank you. I knew every Cream baseline basically when I was 15 or 16 years old. I could not Jack sing Bruce is a fucking god. He's a beast. I could not sing and play at the same time as well, but I could, like anything that was easy, White Room, Tales of Brave Ulysses. Whoa. Like, you know, I could play all that shit. Um, oh, why don't you just mention, on top of that, why don't we just mention Sunshine of Your Love? I can do Sunshine of Your Love. Jesus. Love. We're talking about three of the greatest tracks in the 60s. And then, like, I felt like in high school, I was like a very obsessive cream person and nobody else was. And then, No one was. And then Cream, cream Fellas not- came out. Oh, good fellas. I don't know. Wait, why. what cream tune? Was it Sunshine? Well, I mean, first of all, Layla, Layla from Clapton, and also Sunshine of Your Love is in Goodfellas at a very pivotal scene. Yeah. Um. When when uh Henry Hill starts observing how Jimmy the Gent Conway is paranoia over the Lufthansa theft. Oh my god! You know what? Here, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We have referenced Goodfellas what fifty to sixty seventy five times. A lot. I love. Hear me. Uh, no i i fucking love that movie i need an excuse to watch it hear me out we do we we pull a kevin smith and we do a commentary on goodfellas we should do that and drink every time they say the word fuck we take a sip not a shot because we'd be dead but like a sip it'd be fucking amazing still no hard hard no (laughs) we every fifth but oh. it'll be hard because we'll be drinking. And that's two and a half hours of drinking. So yeah. maybe maybe we don't do a drinking game. We just drink to our heart's content, okay. which for me is like three beers in that time frame. Yeah, yeah, but uh, anywho, um, yes. I And the thing about Cream is I don't feel like Cream's star power passed out of the 70s. 
Yeah, but also because Clapton became such a big solo artist. I hate to say it, but it's true. Entirely possible. Entirely yeah, possible. He's so fucking good. And then, yeah, like, unfortunately, he's such a cunt. But I um, choose to believe that uh, he's heroin just broke his brain. He, no, he looked, I think no, he's sick already. I need a reason to continue to listen to this shit. And I yeah, need an excuse. I'm going to give it up. I need an excuse. Anywho. I, 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 I'll let you have it because it's Thank you. Cream is fucking great. Cream um, is amazing. There, we, we, could, we did this discussion in another podcast about what the first metal song was. It wasn't the tide of the topic of the podcast. but Was it, it Politician? Up. Well, I said it was Politician. I think Politician is the very first metal song. Legit God, metal song. song. You and know who really didn't do a good version of that? Anybody else? Ace Fraley. No, he should never cover that. And he so, did. It's on his last album. Anything. He shouldn't cover anything. Not anymore. Never. No. He's not capable of doing good covers. He's not. He's not make capable. New, of... Make new music. Shut no. Did you hear Spaceman? No, I liked Anomaly. Anom- okay, you are several albums back, sir. Anomaly is 2009. I know. I listened to Spaceman. I didn't think it was good. No, I didn't. No, uh, Spaceman is abject bullshit. There, and I, as much as I hate on things Kiss have done, which I do, and I prefer the Ace Camp, because I think Ace could still do Kiss music. Ace is the Roger Waters of Kiss with, I mean, 75% of it. He is <laughs> Always the, go back to that argument. He is the sound of Kiss, which Roger Waters was the sound of Pink Floyd. The, he's the... but. The difference is Roger Waters wrote songs. Oh, okay. you can't see me turning into a werewolf on the other side of the video here, but I'm going to... Ah, anyway, moving Bite on. Bite Nick's face Sp- off. Spaceman is utter fucking bullshit. And I mean, there's it's one of the worst records I've ever heard, period. Wow. Wow. Where were we? Oh, yeah. So I got Cream. I picked up uh, Janis Joplin. I got Demo Cosmic Blues again. Another 10 of 10. I also picked up Volumes one through six of Alice in Wonderland being read to an orchestra. Well, who's the narrator? Uh, it's over there. I don't, did, I ever, something. Did, did I ever tell you that the um, original, a record in my mother's record collection was Bowie doing Peter and the Wolf, mm. which was like a hugely influential on my childhood. Did you know there was a weird Al version of Peter and the Wolf? That's unreal. Uh, it's like $300 on vinyl so I've not heard it and I don't know how else to get it because I don't care and so the and then I also picked up and here's where we're going to get into the meat of this potato wait a minute it's a good one Morrison Hotel by the Doors Uh, at one time I had every Doors record on CD when I was a Born again, CD disciple. I regret those years. I should have known better. I did not. I was young and I was stupid. Now, let me. Yeah. We're going to begin to talk about vinyl care right now. Anybody listening? Because I'm, this is going to be a bit of an outgrowth. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to get back to doing two episodes a week. One with Keefe, one with a band. When I get to the point that I'm not moving. So consider this a bit of a bonus. And I'm going to talk about records and all that kind of stuff. Similar to the vinyloscopy uh, column interview I used to do. But when we looked at the Cream record, that thing was immaculate. It looked like it walked off of the 
Terra Haute production line, because that was a Terra Haute pressing, as I found out, got a little taken. It was priced way higher than the market value on the internet, but you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. Then the Janus record looked pretty good. And then we pulled out the Doors record. I had my daughter, who was with me, pull it out. Now, how does that look to you? It's hard to tell with the glare. Uh, I mean, uh, my eyes are not good, but it seems okay, but I don't know. I'll tell you, it's dusty as fuck. Now, the question becomes, okay, well, does dust matter? It so does. Throw this not, only, the... not only does it affect the sound, it fucks up your equipment. Correct. Now, being as I replaced my needle, I replaced my expensive needle back to the cheap one because I couldn't ever get the expensive needle actually properly adjusted to where it would stay. But in fairness, my, my, turntable, my turntable is also excessively temperamental. So I can't get anything to stay properly, even the even the old school needle. But with uh, on my turntable, I have a vinyl, not a vinyl, um, acrylic. I have an acrylic platter or acrylic slip mat, not acrylic platter. The acrylic platter uh, turntables are uh, you're looking at five hundred dollars minimum, and the good ones are five thousand. So I don't have that. I don't have that kind of money like my contractor does. <laughs> he's like, Nick, what kind of turntable you got? I'm like, well, you know, I got this. And he's like, oh, well, I got one of those with the four-inch acrylic platter. It's like, how do you afford that? Then I saw his bills. Anywho, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn original sound on. So here's what the record sounds like. It's very dusty. It's a little scratchy. I did check the, I did check the scratches. They're surface. You can't feel them, so they're okay. Now you're saying, well, why did you touch the record? I'll get to that. But just, uh, just take a minute here. Now, how do you think that sounded on a scale of 1 to 10? Keeping in mind that we are now talking about the creme de la creme of the vinyl pressing era. This is a 1960s pressing of a 1960s record. I mean, I'm not a good judge of this, admittedly. Um, So I would say like a 7 or an 8, and I think that's good because I'm going by the ghost cult scale of no no nothing is perfect unless it's rare and perfect but that sounded pretty good to me i understand his limitations i would put it at a six five okay it is a dirty record that i could hear the pops i could hear the clicks i have records older than this that sound like no one has ever touched them and they have been played the scratches on the surface i don't know if you could see them very well in on the after i i'll explain this in a minute But what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. And during that break, I am going to wet clean the record. And once that wet clean is over, I'll show it again to Keefe so he can see exactly what this looks like. And then we'll drop the needle again on the same track and you can hear again. So give me five minutes. Thank you for waiting. I have now wet cleaned the record. If you are interested in more about wet cleaning, I'll put a link to the video I did on wet cleaning on my YouTube channel in the description so you can see exactly what the process is like. Simply put, 
A wet cleaner is, I use a Studebaker, which is a copy of the very, the more popular and far more expensive spin clean. I got mine at the time for 25 or 30. I forget exactly how much it was. A spin cleaner, however, is in the 80s. All it is, is just a reservoir a, and a pair of felt brushes. You clean, turn it clockwise three times and you turn it counterclockwise counterclockwise three times. Then you dry it off or as uh, our friend Steve Tom Sawyer on Twitter at Rage of the Mage puts it, he air dries his. But I don't find that the fuzz on the towel causes an issue. And then on top of that, in a worst case scenario, it's all taken care of. So now we will see exactly what it sounds like with the now that I've cleaned it. Now, keeping in mind this, I didn't listen to this beforehand. I haven't listened to it now, so it may sound great. It may not. And that's what it sounds like after cleaning it, the difference that I can hear on my side, and of course we are on a Zoom call and Zoom calls do not have the best audio acoustics, but for me, it sounds far better. Thoughts? It does sound improved. I won't deny it. Um, again, I feel like a bit of a noob here. I should be more skilled and practiced at this. I went many years with no turntable, then I had access to turntables for a few years, then mine broke and I didn't have one for a few years. In my latest life as a vinyl collector, I'm going to try to be more thoughtful and appreciative of learning how to take care of my stuff. I, I'm often reminded of the quote from Mall Rats by Brody Bruce to T.S., when he says, I tried to teach you how to handle comics back in the fifth grade, but no. Oh, you wanted to play Little League. That's it. Oh no, Mallrats was Mallrats was my entry point to the Kevin Smith saga. So, but one of the things I during the pandemic last year, when we were all sitting at home all the time before we got our vaccines, and was I started watching a lot of vinyl YouTube channels. I don't watch them anymore because I feel like I've gotten everything I'm going to get out of them. But one of the things I learned was. And the great Canadian YouTuber, I believe it's Vinyl TV is the channel. What he had said was, in the time of vinyl, we didn't know how to handle it. So this is a rando copy of Morrison Hotel that I bought literally today. And if you could see the cover, the cover is a little beat up. It's got some water stains on it. It's not in great condition. There are all kinds of surface scratches all over it. But one wet cleaning took this used record from the 60s from, in my opinion, a six of five or a seven out of 10 sounding into a 10 of 10 completely clear, delightful sound. Now, the, so the first question would come up in, if I'm asking is when do you clean a record? How often do you need to clean them? That depends upon a lot of things. The first one, the first answer is you clean a record the day you open it. The day it comes into your house, you need to hit it with a wet cleaner. 
because even brand new records that you cracked the cracked the polyurethane seal on i have had 30 to 40 minimum skipping on the first spin because they've got little chunks in the grooves and the popping and clicks from from vinyl that we are all oh so familiar with where do they come from keefe uh, just life happening to them, handling you grease on your fingers, dust in your home. If you have a home with many books and papers, you're going to have dust mites everywhere and other microscopic things. Absolutely correct. The vast majority, there's also another thing it comes from, but the vast majority of pops and clicks come from dust. And if you use a wet cleaner with a strong felt brush, you also put in a little cleaning fluid. I am presently using vinyl style cleaning fluid, but could you hear a difference between A and B? I definitely did. Now, I would say it was 20 or 30% better than what I first heard, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. It went from what your average person thinks of, of a vinyl record sound, to what your average person would think of as a CD sound. Completely clear, but it has that vinyl warmth to it. And that warmth comes from, especially in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, analog recording. And in the the aughts and teens and whatever the hell we're in now, I guess the 20s, vinyl mastering. Because that's one of the things that makes records, even in today's age, when not everything is recorded on analog equipment. The vinyl mastering changes it. It also doesn't, you can't do the loudness wars on vinyl, which makes it better. So now I've cleaned it. It's ready to go into the the paper sleeve, but what do you put it in now? What do you put it in? What's that? It looks like a mylar. Correct. It is a mylar anti-static sleeve. The paper inserts are not good. They got dust. They got static. So last year, I'm listening to Pulse. I'm listening to The Wall on modern pressings. And they've all got pops and buzzes. Because they were full of static. So one of the things, the one of the other, the other benefit of the wet cleaning is it gets rid of any static on your record. So you've cleaned it when you've gotten it. Now you've got depending upon your house, depending upon everything, you've got many, many listens ahead of you. You don't have to clean them even every year, but from time to time you have to clean them. So like today when I was cleaning this and the six volumes of uh, Alice in Wonderland that I bought for my wife and the other records I bought today, once you clean them, you put them in, you put them into the anti-static and then that keeps them separate. That keeps them so you can pull them up when you pull out of a paper sleeve and you put it on to the turntable, the turntable creates static every time. So you can buy a $125 vinyl gun or you can give it a wet clean. Well, the wet clean is cheaper. Let me also say when you do the wet clean, you are supposed to use distilled water, not tap water. Because tap water might have little, especially in a, in a town like St. Louis, we're a hard water town. So it can scratch the record if you use that water. 
So you use distilled water, no scratches, no anything. I had to, I did have to uh, clean my copy of Beastie Boys Licensed Ill because it got fuzzy, it got dusty. So clean that one. And I used my brush. Have you ever, do you have a vinyl brush? I have a, a kit, but I haven't really used it yet. Do that. You know what you can do with this? Brush a vinyl. No. Brush your needle. No way. This is a needle cleaning brush. So you get fuzzies, you go. You have to go from back to front, do it three times, you're good to go. Will not damage the needle, and you are great. I'm going to go back to the acrylic slip mat now. What kind of slip mat do you have? I have a felty slip mat, but I recognize that that may be adding dust to my vinyls. It's not going to add dust, but you know what it is going to add all kinds of? Static. And the pops, half of the pops are going to come from static. What about neoprene? I see a lot of neoprene ones. I'm going to recommend 100% nothing else acrylic vinyl. Now, anybody listening to this, because what is the tagline of our podcast here, or the podcast, as it were? Beer metal and swearing. But now, should be beer metal, vinyl, and swearing. That's too many things. It is too many things. Three is the magic of our son. Right. We could, I mean, we could do beer metal vinyl, then we could just swear less, but whatever. We probably anyway, should swear less. It would help us get more listeners. Probably should swear less. So, what does metal have more than any other kind of music? Swearing. Double bass. Satan. Oh, right. Now, what the acrylic platter does for anybody listening to vinyl, especially the older albums like Legion, like Covenant, obviously by uh, DSI Morbid Angel, before they were good at recording double bass, it makes that, it makes double bass punchier. So it cuts through the noise. That is the biggest change I saw. And then on top of that, no static acrylic plastic is a is not a conductor it's an insulator so the static that is created by spinning a record with a needle on it does not create static and for again for modern day albums the the 180 gram records tend to in my opinion create more static than the original pressings which is one of the reasons why I seek out original pressings or not necessarily original, but, you know, pressings, not, not the 180 gram modern day pressings of older records. Now I don't have everything on that, on those kinds of pressings because they get expensive. What, uh, like I have Iron Maiden's Brave, uh, not Brave New World, Iron Maiden's uh, Rock and Rio is on 180 gram pressing because I don't even know if there was a contemporary vinyl pressing of that one because that was in the dark ages, as it were. But so go ahead, Keefe, talk a bit. Um, so, yeah, I think this is very educational. If you here's a suggestion, maybe this would be useful. If you want to send me a bunch of links of stuff you buy, I can then transform those links and give them back to you in a sensible way where people can have a compendium of pl- a place to buy all the things because i'll go ahead and go buy them i'm gonna go buy just them. called me nonsensical i didn't say that 
That's what my wife says every day. They're having a podcast and it's not going to be very organized to people listening on the fly, in the car, on a jog. And then we're going to have, maybe I give you back a link tree that has links to all the stuff you just suggested to buy. That's useful, helping us help them help themselves. That is fair. That is fair. And also me selfishly, I want to know what the things you are. So like those sleeves, let's just back up for a second. Those distilled water is 49 cents in the supermarket per gallon. How much are those sleeves typically for, did they come in a pack of 20? What do they do? They typically go anywhere from 10 to $25 for either 25 or 50. Presently, uh, and each time I buy them, by the time I go, because I just buy a pack when I run out. Because I've got right now, between all of our records that we own as a family, between my 800, my wife's 100, and my daughter's 100, we probably are around 1,000, including Broadway, including Christmas records, which the only Christmas record that has one of those sleeves is Casey Musgraves' Christmas, which, oh my God, I fucking love Casey Musgraves. As discussed, she, she rules. As my wife pointed out last night, I have paid very close attention, and she's very pretty which that is not why I pay attention, but yes, that, those are true statements. She is very pretty. But anywho, uh, I don't have a lot of those on my Christmas records because they don't get played much. So it, all of my Pink Floyd albums are already in those, and I have bought probably six or seven different versions of them. Just You just want to look for anti... They're all the same. Just anti-static inner sleeves. Um. The current brand I'm using is Invest in Vinyl. That's just what was available at the time. You should, you should completely, because you're investing in your vinyl. Unfortunately, the latest Iron Maiden uh, triple sets, you can't put, you can't, I can't use them because then I would have to put the inner sleeves they come with. I've got nowhere to put them. So I will just, I, I will just actually clean those more often than normal because cleaning them gets rid of the static as well. So here's another question. You're going to just keep inspiring me to ask more questions. No, I I love the idea of people asking me things because I'm that egotistical. How often should we clean your vinyls? How often? that? Excuse me, I burped this. And I I did not mention this earlier, and I'm going to mention it now. The Midwest Swing by Rockwell Brewing. This is the best citrus IPA I have ever had in my life. So, but how often did you clean them when you have to know how that record sounds like my copy of Black Sabbath Paranoid, I bought a beater. Uh, Frankly, I bought a beater. My copy of Rush Farewell to Kings is a beater and I have cleaned. One of the things you can do if it's something is a beater, you can clean it. You can spin it slower and just, you know, three, three and three is standard. You can go six and six, just keep, you can just keep going to get deeper, a deeper clean. However, with Farewell to Kings, I have put it through the wet cleaner on super slow-mo probably 15 times. And it's still noisy because sometimes, sometimes they are damaged to the point where you cannot fix it. You cannot repair it. It is what it is. This is not a CD where you can put turtle wax on it and fix the skips. Do you do that turtle wax on your, okay. No, I think back in the day, day, my brother, who I speak often of, 
used to take my mom's clear nail polish or is that cds maybe that's a cd i'm talking about cds yeah yeah clear nail polish on a cd will actually fix a skip or a scratch for me it was turtle wax turtle wax did pretty good but once you get to a point where it's skipped or it's too scratchy you just you can't fix it so it's important to know what the baseline of that record is and when you can listen to it and know that it doesn't sound as good go ahead and whack it in the cleaner. I try to do a minimum of three or four when I clean them. You can also do like a, a uh, if you have a cleaner like mine, the Studebaker or the Spin Clean or any wet cleaner, I mean, they're all the same. You can just wet the, wet the brushes, put a little bit of cleaning solution on it, give it a quick whack and it works fine. It, it'll get you at least a little bit better. That's usually what I do. For the first time I, I listen to something, especially, you know, I'll, I'll do, if I'm not going to do a full wet clean right before, I will give it a, uh, a moist clean as it were, and then give it a wet clean later. I, I usually now, keep now a stack. Now when you gave it the wet clean and you did not use a fancy device, I saw you using your hands and a, what looked like a fairly standard towel, nothing special. The towel was just to dry it off. But like. We're taking for granted that you have, like, I'm assuming you have very soft, plushy towels. I have, okay. I have a scratchy-ass, old-ass towel. No, the, the, towel the towel is just to dry it off. Again, some people buy vinyl drying racks in order to let them dry. I don't do that. I don't. I have not found a need for that. I think that is going a step too far. But your mileage may vary. It depends upon your towels. I... Only use brand new clean towels to do this. Brand Once I or like a newly cleaned towel, newly cleaned, newly okay, cleaned. Sorry, brand. I mean, like brand new towels. It could be very no, expensive. no, and and I mean, I know this is already getting re- when one of my coworkers, Pat, whom I refer to as Pitter Patter from Letterkenny, um, he likes to make fun of me, and I, as I told the story before, the the work Christmas party. He meets my wife, and the first and only question he asks her is, does he really have as much vinyl as he says he does? And her response is, oh, my God, yes. It's obscene how much vinyl he has. I don't think I'm obscene yet. I think I am now at a reasonable amount. But that's just me. And my new record room, which I'm not in, obviously, for anybody on a Zoom meeting with me, uh, knows I've only got two cases, but once we move into the new place, I'm going to get another one. I've already worked out the measurements and, uh, but yeah, so I, I have quite a bit and I forgot where I was going. A cat knocked an, an ornament off the tree. So I got confused. Mm. No worries. These things happen. But uh, another important thing is to make sure you have when you are when, when Keefe was buying a, a record player, we had probably a ninety-minute phone call while he was ordering this, and while I was cooking dinner and cleaning the kitchen before dinner, because I'm a jackass and I don't clean the kitchen after dinner. I clean it before dinner. Should do it the other way. And the most important things I can tell you is you don't want a crossly system. You don't want an all-in-one system. If you don't want a giant setup, that's fine. You can do what Keefe did and buy a powered setup. I'm actually going to have a powered turntable 
in my living room in my new house because I'm going to take my late father-in-law's turntable and put it there. And that will be able to go into a receiver that does not have a phono input. The receiver that I use for everyday listening is a 1971 Sherwood 7100S turntable. It is the top of the line turntable from 1971, but nobody really rated Sherwood. So it's still rather affordable. You can get one for $150. If you, if you want to do that, they're on eBay. They're all over eBay. I heartily, heartily recommend it. I do have a Pioneer PL. Hang on, let me roll over there a minute. I have a PL Pioneer PL 200 turntable, which is a 1975 turntable. I tried using an Ortofon OM10 cartridge and head shell on it, which the problem is, is this turntable is a little rough. So I kept knocking it out of alignment. But what this turntable does have is it has a counterweight so you can get the right tracking force. And it's also got an adjustable head shell to make sure you're putting it in the right spot. These are the two most important things you can do, whether or not you've got a top of the line cartridge and head shell or whether you don't, you want to make sure it is adjusted properly. And I would, I'm not going to link anything. Just all you have to do is go to YouTube and put adjusting cartridge and head shell or adjusting turntable and you will get 4,000 videos on how to do it. It's really simple. It's just a pain in the ass. But once you have that, it tracks it perfectly and you have to use the technology properly. Now, one question I would be having if I'm listening to this is, well, why in the world would I want old school technology for music? My first question would be, Keefe, what is the most expensive guitar out there? Some kind of vintage Les Paul or something. Or that scratch. is correct. But you are very close to hitting the nail directly on the head. The number one most expensive guitar in the world is a 59 Les Paul. Sounds about right. Now, are you familiar with Joe Bonamassa? I am. Eric Clapton. Unfortunately. Paul Stanley. Indeed. Ace Fraley. Awesome. Rick Nielsen. Surely. Jay Giles. Oh, yeah. Gary Moore. Mm -hmm. Kirk Hammett. Mm -hmm. What do they all have in common? They all play, have played a 59 Les Paul. Correct. Three of those guys play the same 59 Les Paul, actually. And the reason why the 59 Les Paul is so sought after, there are two reasons. One, it's rare. They're, they only made, I think, 234. And two, they are considered to be the best sounding guitar ever created. Mm -hmm. Well, why isn't the modern day guitar the best sound ever created? That's a really great question. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess it has something to do with the quality of, first of all, legacy and age seems to, you know, vintage markets and things seem to make people excitable. And <sighs> then also just probably the quality of the, in the year, you know. I can't tell you what it is and that nobody has. And Gibson has spent the last 40 years trying to recreate the 59 Les Paul to varying degrees of success. But sometimes the old school way of doing it is creates a better result, even if the process is more difficult. So when my coworker Pat says, Nick, why in the world would you go through all this trouble? Cause I've got 
you know, I've got nearly 50 year old speakers. Actually, no, I've got 53 year old speakers. I've got a 50 year old receiver and I've got a receipt at a turntable as old as me, same year, 1975, turned 46 this year, by the way. And I, I just can't describe, I, I can't explain, but it feels like music is done the best on analog equipment. I mean, if you think about the entire history of recorded music, we are at what, about 140 years? And for the first 110 of them, it was vinyl. And they created improvements. First, it was it was 78s, which interestingly enough, as I explained to my daughter yesterday, while we were watching A Christmas Story, the first record players didn't even run on electricity. That is mind-blowing. They ran on rubber bands. You twisted them, and then you put it on, and then you put a, you put a 10-inch 78 on shellac vinyl, which if you dropped it, it would shatter to a thousand pieces. If you don't believe me, go to any thrift shop and find the broken ones, because they're there. Because People break them and just put them back in the sleeve. It is what it is. And then in the Make 30s, in the 30s, the two competing formats were created, 45 RPM and 33 RPM. What a lot of people don't realize, and I only learned this last year, was that 45, it was the idea was to recreate the 19, the, the 78 RPM experience where you had an album, which is an album of records, which is where the term album came from, because you would buy it was like a, a photo album that had five out that had five discs in it song on each side but then 33s came out and a lot less work a lot less moving parts and that's why it won the war and that's why 45s were relegated to something else but to me there is no better way to listen to music than list than picking out a record off my shelf thinking or you know going through what's in my itunes or on my my iphone Picking an album out to listen to the at the end of the day when I get home, crack open a beer, have two channel, which there is no better sound for music than two channels. 5.1 music does not sound as good as two channels, period. Right. Now the question becomes, as I see it, which versions of an album do you buy? Which album of the wall do you which version of the wall do you have? Um <clears throat> I have a anniversary repress that is back east in storage. What year is it from? Roughly. Like 15 years. Okay, so the 2014 pressing? Yeah, that's what I have too. You know what the problem with that pressing is? It was produced from the digital masters. So is it as good as a 1979 pressing? No. But you know what's a lot cheaper? It's like my copy of Roger Waters' uh, Amused to Death. Do you have that one? I do not. I do not have any Roger Solo stuff. I have all of it. I know. I'm not surprised. I know you're not surprised. My copy of Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, original pressing. My copy of 1987's Radio Chaos is a DJ promo pressing that a friend of mine sent me, who is a DJ in North Carolina and my copy of amused death or my copy of 
yeah, Muse to Death is a modern day pressing. You know, there, there's no OG. Pre- you know, I, I got one of the, the original pressings, not that there's that many. Black pressing, 180 grams, sounds spectacular. But my copy of 1992's Muse to Death is not the 1992 pressing. Although I have been told that that particular pressing is one of the records to use to show somebody what vinyl can really sound like. It's that good. Never heard it because it's $300. But I did get my copy of the 200 gram repress. I believe I have a Hong Kong pressing of it. Not like a bootleg, but that pressing. Sounds amazing. Absolutely, truly amazing record. And then, but that's also the last time in the world where we have the AAD recording. Um, I'm not sure how many people were around that are listening to this at the time of the birth of the CD as a mainstream format. And if you look at the back of any of your CDs from the early to mid 90s, you will see AAD all the way up to DDD. It was uh, analog recording, mix, it was mixing, recording, mastering. So anything that was recorded before 1991 was at a minimum, at a minimum, AAD, analog recording, analog mixing, digital mastering for the CD. And the analog mastering for vinyl makes even a digital recording sound wonderful if done properly. That is amazing. Now, how do I know? Is there a tip? Is there a tip? Is there a test? Is there a source where I can find out? I want to have, I want Dark Side of the Moon. I love Pink Floyd's my favorite band. I need a new copy of Dark Side of the Moon. My old one is shitty. That was just a regular vinyl copy I got somewhere. How do I know what's the right one to buy? How are you buying it? Are you in a store, rando record? Anything's possible. Anything. Okay. If you are in a three in the morning, drunken purchases at the record store, flipping through the stacks, like a comic book shop mentality I used to do. Like, what do I do? Uh, Step one is it 180 gram? The one I have isn't. Do I want 180 gram? I happen to own a lot of 180 gram records right now. We all do. I've got shit tons of them. It's funny. Don't the 180 gram is my opinion. I don't know if this is factually. I don't know if this is a factually accurate statement to quote the GOP senator from uh, somewhere in the southwest. Fuck that guy. And most 100. If you are buying a 180 gram pressing of an elder album. It's probably done through digital masters, keeping in mind that, what was it, five, six years ago, there was a giant fire and they lost thousands upon thousands. The Universal Records fire, we won't even know the impact of it for decades, but it's far. No, we will never know. Never know. But the good news is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon sold 11 bajillion million squillion copies. That's why it's not terribly valuable, except for certain pressings. The, the pressing you want of that one is either Japanese or the MoFi pressing. However, both of those are way out of my price range, so I will never have either of them. But if you get a 70s or 80s pressing of that record, it's going to sound great. Where is the resource that tells me 
I want this record? Is it Discogs? Is it just knowing that I don't want this versus that? How do I do this? Do I need a Nick in my life to tell me what to buy and what not to buy? Do you have enough free time for this shit? I highly doubt it. I've got more free time than I deserve. Uh, but in honestly, using Discogs, if you use Discogs, just look for the, the, the easiest way of, of explaining this is don't buy 180 gram pressings if you don't have to. I am not going to tell you not to buy 180 gram pressings. I buy 180 gram pressings, not of if I have the opportunity. Like when I was, I wanted to buy a copy of Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind. And excuse me, I'm a little burpy right now. I wanted to buy a Peace of Mind. So I remember calling three or four stores saying, Do you have it? And they're all like, We've all got, we've, we've got the 180 gram repress. I'm like, I don't want that. I wanted, an OG early 80s pressing. And I got it on discounts. Uh, I bought a... Now, the question... Now, here is where another question comes up. What are you precious about? There's two things when it comes to buying vinyl. There's packaging and collectability. And there's the sound that comes out of your speakers. What are you precious about? Uh, kind of depends on the record. I would say sometimes it's the sound and sometimes it's I'm precious about the packaging. Like there are things I own that came in a super smurfy package that I felt like I had to have. I do love, I know you've said this many times, the swirly etchings. Oh, I painted. do love this. Oh, You love them, painted. but they don't sound good. The colored pressings do not sound any worse than vin- than black vinyl. Do you know why? No, I don't know why. What color is vinyl? In its natural state. I don't even know. Exactly. It's clear. Black vinyl is colored vinyl. Semantics, but yes, you're right. No, it's um, not semantics. And I'm sorry, it sounds really okay. wrong to say it that way. Fucking with you. What? Did you just call me a clan member? I am just fucking with you, sir. Okay. Relax. I did not call you anything. Uh, look, I'm I'm trying to make drama. Uh, there's, there's none. Fair enough. No, the black vinyl or blue vinyl or swirly vinyl, it all sounds the same. It's not. It's it's all about the pressing and the mastering. Now, I will tell you, I have purchased things that sound like shit on vinyl. My copy of, and every copy, of Straight Outta Compton soundtrack. It's a bad pressing. It's noisy. It's full of sibilance. What's mm-hmm. sibilance? Uh, normally a joke that I make uh, regarding Wayne's World and Tom Hanks. Sibilance. Sibilance. Yes, it's a sound uh, quality metric. No. It's a sound, which uh, I am referring to, what's the name of the new uh, St. Louis soccer team? I don't know. St. Louis City SC. Somebody is cruel and unusual to people with lisps. Or as I like to call them, the St. Louis Cobra Commanders. That's fucking amazing. I hope their logo looks like the Cobra Commander. Or it does Cobra. not. And nobody has uh, picked up on this. But I'm going to keep it going until somebody does. Because I think it's fucking hysterical. Cobra Commander, Axel Rose, never in the same place at the same time. Discuss. Could be. Uh, Cobra Commander is pretty skinny. Uh, I meant vocally. Great. Cobra Commander's of- voice. 
Speaking of Axel Rose, that is actually a record I have on 180 gram pressing. I have the mid mid teens pressing of, of Appetite for Destruction. That is the only Guns N' Roses record I require. The only one I will ever buy. Sounds phenomenal. I cannot speak to the two album version of it. Don't know. And I, another another one I have is uh, Black Sabbath self-titled i have the 2013 rhino 180 gram pressing of it that is the kind of record that sounds like vinyl should so not every 180 gram pressing is bad just to make that clear just because it's 180 gram is not does not make it bad my personal choice if i have the opportunity and if i have the money i am going to go for an original or og era pressing like my copy of uh, LA Woman that I got about two months ago, I think is a 1975 pressing. Sounds amazing. Uh, it you are also, a, you are on a Doors kick then. I love the Doors, and I like when I started buying records. It was only about the records I wanted to hear all the way through every time, and then it became okay. I'm going to buy everything on vinyl. So now I'm trying to. I know it, it's. <laughs> It's I not a really far bridge, really, if you think it about really it. It really isn't. It wasn't no, it, it's totally not. Because one of the things I, I, I have learned, and I've been made fun of a lot for this by, by my best friend, I listen to things like Unmasked, and Kiss Unmasked is like their worst record. In my opinion, it is the worst record in the catalog. Second only to have uh animalize then that's not the worst then animalize is the worst sir no animalize is i'm sorry animalize is the only is the other one that's like second to unmasked i apologize i put that wrong and i have both of them on vinyl and i have found that i prefer them way more than i ever did before because in the 90s when they were mastering everything to cd they didn't know how to do it so a lot of the 90s CDs of classic music doesn't sound as good. So that's why I went to, okay, if I can get it on vinyl and I can afford it, I'm going to. Even though I, I, and I, I can't afford everything I want. I don't have a copy of Motley Crue self-titled. I don't know that I ever will. I would like to. If you have one, oh my Lord, that is a giant phone. If you have just one, giant, it really isn't. All right, fair enough. It's like my penis. If you have, I take that back. It looks giant, and it is. But wow, I'm I'm sorry. Um, where was that? Oh yeah. So violence. I I cannot. Everybody, Nick chose violence today. Continue. Molly Crew self-titled costs nearly four hundred dollars. I don't know why. It's amazing. We'll fight that. We'll yeah, fight, but like it doesn't deserve. To we be will. It's because it's it's rare and good. Okay, that's the thing about that's <laughs> the thing about they don't have that much stuff that's actually good at all. Oh, oh, we'll fight that battle another day. But We're the thing about that in, a, in February, probably, probably the thing about vinyl is there's two versions of the collectability of it. There's rarity, and then there's quality. Like, how much would you pay? How much do you think you should pay for Black Sabbath Headless Cross? Quite possibly one of their four to three to four worst records. Very little. It costs I have no I have no interest in that album, actually. Just about none. 
However, it costs very much. Right. Because it was pressed in 1989, a singular pressing, period. Same with Forbidden. Forbidden is $500. I have a friend, shout out to my dear buddy, Matthew Kennedy, who is a Sabbath obsessed fan, and he has everything they have bootlegs, original pressings, remasters, repressings, anything worth having. That dude has it. And he's in a Black Sabbath group that he invited me into, and I just wait for him to post his Black Sabbath vinyl porn. And I look longingly at it and be like, I will never have such things. And then I like his post and I go on with my life. Want to throw out a big, big shout out to Duncan, who in our first vinyl uh, gift get, gift exchange sent me a copy of TYR. Okay, wow. Tear. Is it Tear? I don't know. It is Tear is a, is a name of a Norse god. He's also a character in the Thor <sighs> movies. And the... Um, Yes, tear. The way Duncan saw it was, I paid a fiber for it. I hate it. You can have it. I'm making a face. Uh, oh, no, it's a good face because that thing's $150 now. Right. Oh, I know. So that's why I sent him a shit ton of records more than I said I would. So Duncan I tried. Sweetness and light personified. He is a wonderful human being. He actually has a uh, nearly a full deck to send me. We're waiting for one more shipment, and then he's going to send me my records. He's a good friend, my friend. He's a good friend. He's a wonderful, wonderful human being. But I guess, I mean, really, I don't know what else I can say. So ask me questions while I get a beer. Give me yeah, two seconds. Let's, uh, you know, I hang on. Um, hang, hang pause on. Okay, yeah, pause. Is your new beer the same beer you were drinking or yet another beer, my friend? This is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, one of the things about Trader Joe's, I don't, know, I don't know if I mentioned, but I bought the Midwest Swing at Trader Joe's today because they did not have the Japanese whiskey I was there to buy. I could have gone to Aldi's and not had to pay Trader Joe's pricing. You are so lucky to have an Aldi's near you. I love that fucking store. Dude, I have like seven Aldi's near I me. wish I could get a cranberry box of cookies right now. Those cranberry I have cookies. two Aldi's near my office. I can go right or I can go left and get there. And But they didn't have my, my Japanese whiskey, which I've never had. And I'm like, I want Japanese whiskey. And I don't want to pay $80 for a bottle of Suntory. Although... I was talking that, about ste- steaks earlier. And mm-hmm. uh, the recipe for the peppercorn sauce requires brandy or cognac. Neither of which Ooh, I feel fancy. like I fancy buying a bottle of that shit and just having it to cook with or drink. I don't know if you can get airplane bottles of that. I don't think you can. Mm, guessing not. I've never seen one. Brandy usually comes in fifths. You can buy Napoleon brandy for 10 bucks, though. Mm. At least you could in 2001. I mean, I don't, I don't need Napoleon, a whole bottle of it, though, for the recipe. No, like brandy tastes like ass. It does taste like ass. So, anywho, where are we going with this? I don't know. Vinyl, you wanted me to ask you some questions? Yeah, I, I mean. Some questions along the way. So, we, we've covered how to clean your vinyl. We've mm-hmm. covered. Which sort of I cannot stress. Hang on. I cannot stress enough. Wet cleaning your records is the biggest thing you can do, in my experience. What would be the second biggest? Those sleeves? The second biggest is the sleeves because that keeps the static off and you don't have to clean and, them as much. And then third, I'm going to say is based on your words, is brushing the needle occasionally. Yes. The third is brushing the needle. The no, brush. no, no. Actually, I'm going to say no. That would be fourth. 
third is making sure your equipment can process vinyl. There are three ways of accomplishing this. One, a receiver with the word phono on it, a phono input. That input will also have a ground wire. Two, you can buy a phono preamp. I used to buy a $20 preamp. I've got one hooked up downstairs that I almost never use. I'm going to give that to a good friend of mine because I don't need it anymore. Third, you can buy, actually there are four ways. Third way is you can buy a powered turntable, where which has a special preamp for vinyl records. Well, obviously, because it's a turntable. Fourth way is you can buy powered speakers. But the thing is, is if you play, like I was for about a year, year and a half, I was playing my, my turntable through a 1999-ish receiver that didn't have a phono input. And I had to turn that turntable up to five out of 10, or the receiver, excuse me. I had to turn the receiver to five out of 10 to be able to hear it. And then once I heard what a powered turntable sounded like, it was like, well, fuck, I wasted the last three years of my life. Right. I so those are the four most important power, things. I bought a power turntable based on your advice. Yeah, um, a power turntable is fine. A power turn, any of those processes are fine. However, just keep this in mind. If you buy a cheap preamp, you will have to replace it frequently. I like that you said process like you were Canadian. Uh, according to the processing, it's about it's a boat. It's a boat. I, the processing I, I love and the organization. My dear Canadian friends, I love you all. But I love Canada. They'll speak funny as fuck. Uh, and for the record, in St. Louis, Missouri, you can acquire all dressed chips. They thing? and they taste that good. It's a poutine thing. All dressed chips are a Canadian flavor of barbecue, ketchup, vinegar, and something else. Fuck vinegar, anything, potato chips. No thanks. Fuck you. Uh, fuck me is right. I won't eat them. Um. Anyway, I will um, force so it down co- your fucking throat. So we've covered. Sorry. How to clean your vinyl? Yes, which is. Important. Exceedingly important. The most Im- the checklist of the most important ways to care for your vinyl. If you do that, your vinyl will last for decades. We have talked about the best things to buy to enjoy long-lasting uh, effects of good vinyl purchases. Even if you have a Crossley turntable, or everybody shits on Crossley. Everybody, it must not be good because it's not. It, the problem is the they're tracking force everywhere. Right, the tracking force is five grams. Yeah. On top of that, all Crossley turntables are singular units. And why do you think all of us wanted a tower stereo? Components. Correct. Better. Correct. Just, just clearly, components are better. A better quality. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. But and the then, problem they've got the they've got the strong tracking force, which can dan- if you have your tracking force should be no more than two and a half grams to three, two and a, three is the max. I feel like Crossley topic tur- needs its own. Crossley turntables routinely hit five to seven, Ooh. which what that does is it damages your records. If your tracking uh, force is properly adjusted, your records will not deteriorate from okay. that. So like my Black Sabbath record that I can't buff clean, my Rush record I can't buff clean, it's because the tracking force was too hard. So it damaged the grooves. But even on those turntables, you can put an acrylic slip mat on them. 
if you if that's all you have get that acrylic slip mat they're like twenty dollars and it is the best twenty dollars you're going to spend i'm making some notes mental and actual and you also talked about purchasing vinyl and what to buy and what not to buy when you're picking you're like i said the pink floyd example i want the wall i want dark side of the moon which one do i buy and how do i know you recommend discogs not just for buying stuff but also tracking your own collection and when you're seeking out new stuff where to find the actual proper albums you want to have not the shiny thing i think attention deficit ooh, shiny shiny objects and why do you think i spent 40 dollars on a five dollar record today yeah well because it was there and it was shiny but the right one sometimes is the better investment. But it is yeah, a great, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a great copy. So I, I have, I do like the swirly vinyls. I do like some fancy packaging. Um, my, my favorite thing that I got this year was probably just the individual, like the packaging I'm going to say was the spirit box, eternal blue deluxe with the beautiful butterfly cut out. I don't need this shit. It doesn't really enhance the album other than when I first opened it and looked at it and I was like, this is amazing. And I love the record and I love the band. Um, Real quick, there are people who care as much about the ephemera, the packaging and the whatnots as they do what comes out of the speakers. That's a fact, yes. And you know what? That's fine. I don't care. You, because regardless in, in, in the grand scheme of the world, Oh my God. Belchy. I'm sorry. I haven't eaten today. I've eaten nothing. I can't believe I'm not on the floor. Maybe I did eat. I don't remember. No, I didn't eat. But whether, whether you're not, you're today's episode, Nick turns into Keefe. Go ahead. Whatever your reason, whatever your reasoning for buying a record is, whatever your reasoning for buying a box set is, it doesn't matter because in the end, your, let's say you bought Metallica's Injustice for All like I did. You bought it because you wanted all the, the bits and bobs. That's fine. I don't give two shits because you know what? Your $200, my $200 both went to support an artist making their money on art. Doesn't matter. However, just know what you are, who you are when you make that purchase because there, sometimes you get different things based on the purchase. This is some fascinating shit. I understand why people are so particular and obsessive about vinyl collecting, why it matters. Sound does matter. Care does matter. How quality of pressing originally was matters. So I know that there, you know, like there's no real cheats with this thing. You can't soft shoe it. If you no, purchase, you can't. You have to. You have to be. If if it's not for you, it's not for you. You have to be kind of particular. In what and you know what? If it's not for you, that's also fucking great. Because then there's more for me because they don't press this shit like they used to. And let me also say, because I was thinking to myself as, I, as Keefe was talking, this, when you think about whether or not you want packaging or whether or not you want the, the vinyl discs to put on the platter, that's fine. Either way, doesn't matter. You be you, you do you, I'll do me. Like, my, like Mike D said, in the greatest song of all time, pass the mic. Be true to yourself and you will never fall. Buy what you want for the reasons that you want. And for that, to, to also uh, jump on that, all of the Beastie Boys repressings are fucking amazing. So don't worry about those. Mm. All right. That's good to know. I don't have any Beastie Boys. I am like only missing I the instrumental record. 
Oh, shit. Jim What's going to come first? Am I going to have all Pink Floyd records or all Beastie Boys records? I mean, probably Pink Floyd, but... Uh, the last one I'm missing is Endless River. Then probably Beastie Boys, because I wouldn't buy that Endless River. If you <laughs> bought it for me, I would maybe not like it even, because like I don't... If I buy it for you, would you record. hand it to me? Hand it back to you? Yeah. I mean, if you gave me a gift, I would... Oh, fuck! But I probably wouldn't take it, because like I can't... I, I, I thought I, I had a... I, I, can't I, thought sanction, I, <laughs> I can't sanction that record. I thought I had a way to buy it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to buy it for yourself and secretly give it to me and have me re-gift it the fuck to you immediately, <laughs> go right ahead, because I don't want this fucking thing. I don't want the demo. No, if I do either. <laughs> I'm, I'm also... After buying the Barrett records, I'm only two solo records away from having every vinyl. Everybody's right. Except for uh, Nick Mason's last solo record, which was not originally pressed on vinyl, only pressed in a box set does not count. But And uh, Rick, Rick Wright's last solo record was not pressed to vinyl for some reason, ever. So all I'm missing is Z which I listened to the first song and a half and went, holy fuck, I don't know how this even happened. And uh, David Gilmore's Rattle That Lock, which kind of blows. So probably those won't ever happen. Right. Sorry. Don't be, I'm not. Um, This is very educational. I still don't, it's weird that, because, you know, like how I treat my stuff and how much I love these records and how, intensely i have you know just struggled over every purchase in many cases sometimes i'm impulsive but most of the time i'm very thorough and thinking and i realize that as much as i thought that i knew i don't know that much about what i'm buying that's it it's important for and, and for a lot more reasons than just you know these black or swirly or whatever discs we all need to accept that we don't know everything it's hard for me. I'm a fucking control freak. Hard for me too. My my wife is an attorney, and I will mansplain law to her sometimes. Not much anymore because I've you know still I've married past to that. you. Amazing, amazing. She still loves you. Look, um, I you saw my Facebook post. I don't. I I know I don't deserve her. I don't know what the fuck I did. Mm. I'm gonna try to ride this forever because it's awesome. Sorry. So, All right. if you had any seven to 15 questions what would they be i think that was i mean i've asked what i can think of have we left out anything or i'm not covered something some bit of uh factoid or something about vinyl care or purchasing or stereo equipment care and purchasing that we have left out i mean it wasn't very thorough in some of the lesser things um but you know obviously this mainly was about vinyl care but like obviously these things are all interrelated the first thing is the thing about vinyl is it is, you know, when you see things like audiophile pressing, yes, that is true. And I do, I will, I will go to my grave, I think, believing that vinyl is the best way to listen to music. To begin with, it starts with a two-channel setup. And I think two-channel is the best way to listen to music. When I was listening to the Beastie Boys License to Ill the other day, on my birthday, while I was blasting all kinds of tracks off of 90s hip-hop including nwa and digital underground and beastie boys and sir mix a lot which for my sir mix a lot 180 gram pressing also sounds amazing 
But what I noticed about the Beastie Boys was the way they tracked it. Mike D was in the left speaker, Adrock was in the right speaker, and MCA was in the middle. That is something you lose on five way on a five point one system. You know, music is music was created for the, the the two channel system. But what is the most important thing to you about music? Is it to have the ultimate quality of a listening experience? Is it to have background noise? Is it to have something that you dig in the car? All the answer to all of these is fine. They're, they're, I'm not gonna look down on somebody for not buying vinyl. I'm not going to look down on somebody for only doing Spotify because you know what? Every version of listening you to music. Do, I still do. You do. Every, I still do. Every version of listening to music is a way of supporting the artist. And that's the most important thing, supporting the people that are making these albums for us because they need to eat too. And that's, is if we can, Look, you know, how much money do you spend on pizza? Spend half that on music. Spend a third of that on music. It's probably more than we're already spending. I spend nothing on pizza because the pizza in California is awful. Trash. Oh, my God. When you're here, we're going to eat St. Louis-style pizza, and I'm going to watch and film it. No, fuck you. Shut up. Okay. Everybody hates it. It's fine. Oh, everybody everybody but us hates it. Fucking great. Um, Don't worry. I'll buy, you, I'll buy you a meatball sub to go with. Well, that's fine. Um, and that's, that's the most important thing is just knowing what you want out of something for me, vinyl is a series of decisions that ends up in me listening to what I personally prefer the, the sound of the music I prefer. And that's why I try to get every goddamn thing I can on vinyl because I have, you know, about a year ago, six months ago, I don't know, pandemic time, whatever. I put out a tweet that went the closest to viral that was, why aren't you listening to vinyl right now? And I got about, you know, about a third of the responses were negative. Like, here's why I'm not. The other were, here's why I am. But the biggest thing is, it's, you know, I don't have space for it. For me... I am lucky enough in my house to have an entire room dedicated to listening to records in the house. I bought that I'm moving into in a few months. I have an entire room dedicated to listening to records. I have, I figured out how I can put up another entire set of records in there. So I'll be able to have 1200 in that room for just me. That space is Depending upon where you live, it's a serious thing. Keefe lives in San Francisco. I live in St. Louis. One of the things about St. Louis is our houses are bigger. Our space is bigger. And my house that I'm sitting in right now in St. Louis would cost a million and a half to two million in San Francisco. It is a three-story Victorian painted lady home, which you might have seen a couple of those in San Francisco. Only a couple because they cost fucking Two million there. Mm. Here, it's not even a quarter of that. So that's probably why we have more record stores. And although San Francisco, Oakland is not that much bigger than where I'm living in terms of people, which is more space. Our metro area is three million. What's yours? A lot. Um, 
I'm not sure the actual number, but it's, I don't even uh, know. Um, but our metro area is about 200 miles in diameter, which makes a difference. So we have more room. And I am lucky enough to live in a place where I can have this kind of room and be able to do this kind of listening. Technically, 875,000 people live in San Francisco, and I came from Brooklyn, which had like 20 million. Right, but you that's know, New York the, City, the boroughs, the five that's, boroughs. But that's just the city. That's not the, the exurb. That's not San Jose. That's not Oakland. That's not... San Jose has a million. San, yeah, San, San Jose, Jose has a million? Holy that's fuck. That's what it says. A lot of people have moved down there now. But I think it's the proximity to kind of Silicon Valley. that makes well, you got that BART going on. San Jose is the cheaper area than the valley. And is it? Probably, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and again, for uh, the BART is awesome. The Bay, Bay Area Rapid Transit. I fucking love that train. It is. Every movie you've ever seen, the BART and the cable cars get fucking demolished. Um, a lot of that in Ant-Man, a lot of that in Shang-Chi. I mean, it's a lot of apparent. Matrix. I've never seen the I've never seen the Matrix. Sorry. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, a lot, there's a lot wrong with me, but that's there's fun. A lot, there's a lot right with you, also, though. Yeah, thank you very much. And anywho, so vinyl is, you know, one of the things, you know, the meme we all see is the thing we love about vinyl is the 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 expense and the difficulty. And you know what? That's true. Because when I grab Metallica Ride the Lightning, when I grab Beastie Boys, License to Ill. When I grab Pink Floyd Moore, or when I grab Led Zeppelin Houses of the Holy that my best friend gifted to me, it means a lot. It, I have to take that. I have to get up, walk over to the shelf, pick it up, take it to the turntable, and put it on. Already, that is way more effort than me picking up my iPhone and saying, "Hey Siri, play Led Zeppelin." Mm. so there's a there's a risk there's a reward i got nothing else we've got a long time i hope this is educational it certainly was for me i have possibly been doing it wrong a little bit i don't look i did it wrong for three to four years that's fine everybody does it wrong okay that's the point of this episode is to help I've only, I feel like I've only done it right for since last year. So, I mean, it's, I can remember years of time listening to records thinking, wow, is this really any better than a CD? Mm. Why am I doing this? It just took some time. It just takes some time, little girl, you're in the middle. Anyway. I don't know what that is. Fuck that guy. No. No, don't fuck that guy. It's a great band. I'm making my face. My my my, I got one face. It's I'll post it on Twitter later. Um I'm good if you're good. This is a a good ending point for me. I don't have anything else. We are gonna start. When is this gonna run? Today's the 26th. Uh an hour after we stop. Oh Jesus! All right then. Um, it's bo- it's a Boxing Day special. Sure. What's today? Boxing Day. I'm gonna get it so, out. So our uh, New Year's episode is gonna run on New Year's Eve. Correct. And then we're gonna start on the. We ne- did we announce that? I don't know that we did announce. Go that. ahead, hit it. Oh, well, much to Nick's chagrin and my delight, our next series 
beginning in the first week of January will be back to the 1990s. I feel like we did start to say what it was. I don't think and, that we did. I really don't remember. And, um, or we saw it, we were going. No, to I've it. listened to every episode. Well, I haven't listened to the next one because it hasn't come up yet. A favorite band of mine, a favorite band of San Francisco of mine, and tragically off the road for personal problems in 2021 and 22, Faith No More. But um, Nick was reluctant at first to do Faith No More, even though he's a semi fan, not a. I love the first. Fan. I love the first two records. That's in fact, fair. I be, because I love the first one so much, I have requested we start there. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna not do a traditional decade in itself. We're we're going to morph into the first era of the band, not the reunion era, but the not basically the debut album through. There's the a final. reunion era. Well, yeah, now. Like, now is the reunion era. Um, Jim Martin's not in the band, is he? No. Okay. He, never, he will not be back in the band. Um, well, he's a pumpkin I, farmer now. I know. He's very happy. He Making also big is pumpkins. Very, very happy. Big fucking being, pumpkins. Very happy being out of the music industry. He felt like he was never paid. We can talk all about this. We're going to go very deep on every record, whether Nick likes them or not. I love Faith No the More. They're in my top five bands ever. Several of these Faith No More records are in my top 20 records ever, and I am going to gush effusively about these albums, about the talent of these people. Even though Jim is not in the band any longer, his impact is lasting on the genre, on rock and metal. Jim uh, is they, the first person I ever saw playing a, fly, a Gibson Flying V that I could recognize at that moment as a Gibson Flying V. And I've always wanted one. Still don't have one. By the way, do you know about this? Oh, my fucker. That's cool. Your guitar? Oh, hang on. And then you dropped it. All right. Gibson, Les Paul. With a white pick card. That's pretty cool looking. I didn't. Ugh, ugh, good That's lord! It. It's right in the microphone. You're grunting. You're Sorry, it's heavy yourself. as a bastard. Well, mute yourself next time, then. I dropped the uh, tuner, literally in the Christmas tree, and I dropped it again. Fucking the glacially musical podcast, Lamil and Shlomazel, Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated. Um, Jesus. Glacial uh, musical podcast. Faith, faith, no more. I, awesome. I do like Faith No More. Just... counterpoint to me on the, the stuff he's definitely going to dislike. I absolutely they love. never intended to be a metal band. They, they never intended incredible... to be. I don't they think they intended an... to be anything. They have an incredible backstory. And part of that backstory is any other project the members have gone on to, unfortunately, has to get held up against to Faith No More, which is really shitty and bad by fans, including fans of the band. Who never get a rap like Faith No More fans don't get the same rap. Like Tool fans are horrible, but like Faith No More fans have been brutally unforgiving their entire career. Like they somehow got cheated out of like something. And uh, I do love the band to a ridiculous level, and I definitely obsess about some of their members, especially Billy Gould and Mike Patton. But Billy go- Gould, Billy Gould is the fucking shit. His bass tone is monumental. <laughs> He has been able to play so many styles okay. of bass. Pick, oh. thumb slap, finger style. So 
I'm making faces. I'm pulling faces. I, I don't know why you're making faces. But anywho, we will begin the Faith No More journey with Introduce Yourself and um, maybe a little backstory even before that. And I'm really God rest you, Chuck. God rest, Chuck. And you will have ample opportunity to choose the next band we do or the next series. It's the and fucking I, 80s. What am I going to pick? Will be the, I mean, there's plenty to pick from. Let's not know. do... Yeah, we just not pick another Quiet Riot that has only one good record or two good records. So not Kiss. Not going to do eight. Not interested in 80s <laughs> Kiss. You know what would be fun, though, in the 80s? Robert Plant. Robert Plant's solo output was fucking fantastic. And I love Manic Nirvana, which technically I think is 1989 or 90. 90. But I love that fucking record. 1990 so. counts as the 80s. We can do... Uh, okay, yeah. fine. We'll do Robert we, Plant. Uh, all right, I was going to say... Crew. I have them all on vinyl. It's fine. I was going to let you do crew finally, but all right. Um, oh, fuck me! <laughs> you can rescind and do plant another time. No, I want to do plant. Let's do plant. All right. I'm in the mood for a melody. I'm in oh, the fuck that. Fuck. You know, I didn't know that. Okay, real quick. And this, this will be the last thing I say before I can hit stop on the record. Uh, I'm in the mood for a melody for years. I did not know it was a Robert Plant solo mm-hmm. tune. It sounded so much like shitty Led Zeppelin. And then past that, on Coverdale Page, there's a song they play. It's so good, I didn't realize was not Led Zeppelin. All of that record is great. Um, it is great. And you I know what? Really want David Coverdale me. wants to hear this. That is, the, that is the moment in his life he has been waiting for. Uh, absolutely true. And David Coverdale is a fucking treasure. And I don't give a Completely. fuck. Completely. So I, I like, love David Coverdale. He may have looked like Robert. And he may have preened and pruned and paused. And sang. Like Robert, and sang like Robert. But he is a fucking treasure. He's and funny. I would... I would put David now up against Robert and anybody else now. No. David is in actual fighting shape as a singer, as opposed to Joe Elliott, Robert Plant, and anybody else not named Bruce Dickinson and Rob Alford. At that age, right now, 70. So, I mean, have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? I mean, I've heard the purple. Terry Fire? Robert Plant, I will say this. I know I said I, I know I said I would I know Band of I, Joy, hang on hang, Robert Plant, let, no let me talk. I know I said I'd shut up and I'll shut up after this and I'm gonna mute myself if if I can figure out how. Because it's 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 zoom and I'm old, but I'll mute myself until you give me the thumbs up. Um Robert Plant is the only singer of his age that I can speak to this way. He understands he is fucking old. He understands he lacks the ability he once had and he chooses to sing in a different way in a powerful way he reinvented himself in the perfect way that's I all have I, have problem with that. I don't have a problem with that at all when artists do and that Carrie um, fire is good one of my favorite singers ever is mina caputo and mina has revolutionized the way she sings old songs and new ones and I have no problem with growth as an artist. And I have no problem with an artist saying, I'm older now and I do things differently. I don't think Chris Cornell learned how to sing until he was in his later age. Not saying that he didn't have a wonderful, amazing voice. I'm saying he didn't know how to sing. Bad Motor Finger is peak Chris Cornell. It, it sure is. There's no question. There may be no better album in the 90s, including the Black Album than that album. I would agree that that's better. Than Maybe Black Dirt album. by Alice in Chains, but that's really the list. 
That's so, the whole list. Okay, I know I keep saying this, but you keep referencing things to make me want to talk. So, the my wife requested yesterday when we went to Record Exchange to buy the Alice in Wonderland story records. Yeah. Got all six of them, all 12 chapters of the book. Apparently, it's narrated over an orchestra. So as I'm as we're leaving, I text her, got got six Alice albums. Her response was, in Wonderland or in Chains? Your wife's fucking rules. That's all I got to say. My thought process was, we don't have the money for six Alice in Chains records. I mean, do we? If we do, let me know. So then I can buy that Molly Crew record. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have that kind of money, do we? I, I don't know. What's what's dirt cost? Dirt's got to be expensive. I don't think it's had like a proper actual repressing. Oh, has it? I mean, I don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't like Alice James. I don't fucking know. Oh my god, dude! Why you hurt me? If Look, I don't, if you if you prick with me, don't I bleed? Stop t- dissing my bands. Personal taste. Hurt me. Wow. Or lack of Look, I love Jerry Cantrell as a vocalist. I love Lane Staley as a vocalist. I just don't like what they did together. It's two great tastes. It tastes bad. It tastes weird together. Doug, episode two. Well, on that note of depression, I'm going to go. This is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It doesn't blame Peoria.